Correct. Fresh off watching some river monsters, dark waters. Very, very exciting, you know, <laughs> finding some, uh, some crayfish, you know. Uh, A bull shark. Well, I mean, I feel like we've really had the Friday night of our dreams here watching ancient aliens, eating some aliens, pho, yeah. watching some river monsters. Almost got lost in the woods. Almost got that, lost in the woods. Before that, you know, I saved us. You, you know? did. did. You were right. Now it's on recording. Now you can listen to the it over weekly, and over again. The weekly occurrence of Forrest is right. It's pretty nice. Well, I mean, I guess we can just jump right into the news. Yeah, hit me with it, sure. All right. So, Phil's Groundhog Day prediction. Six more weeks of winter. So, wait, wait, wait was, was yesterday like Groundhog Day? Or who's Phil? So, members of Puxatani, Puxatani yeah, Pennsylvania. Yeah, Gathered to see if Phil the Groundhog would predict six more weeks of winter or spring would come early. Yes. So they gathered at Gobbler's Knob and Phil's inner circle gathered to summon the Groundhog from his tree stump at dawn to see if he saw his shadow or not. And, and did, did they see the shadow? Yes. They so, saw the shadow, so six more weeks of winter. Yes. You know, the whole like concept of like of like Groundhog Day, I feel like it's one of those... Bilderberg, sort of like, you know, Bohemian Grove, occult sort of, uh, you know, operations. Well, that frankly, like, we just kind of, like, let go on, and we made that, you know, um, what was that movie that was Groundhog Day? Who who, who was in that? Was I don't that, know. I didn't watch that. Oh, I know. Gosh, it might have been, if it wasn't John Candy, it that was... That sounds right. might have been... It was, no, 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 no. It was the guy from uh, Ghostbusters. Um, the he was Michelin in, Man? No, no, no. He was the guy. Sleep Puff Marshmallow Man. Not him. It was <laughs> not him. It was, no, it was the guy that I was talking about in, in last week's episode. Great callback from Chris with the Cranks. Oh, um, God. Not a Christmas with the Cranks. Yeah, <laughs> no. God, what a great movie. For, for, for those of you listening, I hope you actually took the opportunity to go. Watch Did that. your homework. Watch Christmas with the Cranks in January. It's not just a Christmas movie. It's a winter movie, honestly. And we're still on winter. Well, Groundhog's Day was Thursday. That's what I looked up. So it was Thursday. And honestly, I don't even know if that's the right actor. So, but I mean, any any, any chance for me to talk talk Cranks with y'all, it's, it's, it's pretty great. But Well, Groundhog's Day, I guess I kind of looked at it. And this is something I actually wrote down to do maybe in like a future podcast. Do you know was, a podcast on Groundhog Day? Was pagan holidays that the Christians took over and made them stupider. So it used to be, I guess, kind of like a pagan holiday. So it was kind of badass at one point. Well, the last podcast has done like 700 episodes and they have not had to hit on Groundhog Day. Well, I'm going to hit it number like 12. <laughs> you're going so. you're, you're to go in reverse order. You're going to do like the weirdest, most obscure topics. And then like episode 800, it's like you know, I don't know, Ted Bundy. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> really this, scraping the this, bottom yeah, of the barrel who's, who's this obscure screw-up? Yeah. You know? I got to hit him before someone else does. So it used to be a, sort of a, a pagan thing, but I mean, yeah. it's, it, it's, but, pretty, uh, it's pretty interesting because, like, you know, growing up, you know, it's like you, there were lots of, you know, sorts of Christmas specials on. Like, if you've seen, if you've seen the Rankin-Bass sort of stop-motion um, uh, Christmas special. Rankin Bass. Well, Rankin Bass was. I mean, for does those, Jeremy Wade fish you, for him? You know, you're more intelligent, like you know, kind of like esteemed <laughs> listeners will know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, Rank, Rankin Bass. No, 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 no. I'm just saying those of your listeners who are of of peak IQ know exactly. What I'm so none about. of them. Well, I mean, because you, you don't listen. Your, your words. Are, I do listen. I'm on the show. You know, I, li- I listen to it live. Um. Okay, let me get back to this. So Rankin Bass was a, a media company that was kind of uh, pretty active in the kind of like the you know sixties, seventies, eighties. I would say. Anyway, they did a lot of stop motion things. I like, saw so, you know Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, Year Without a Santa Claus. You know those old Christmas specials used to go on ABC. Nightmare Before Christmas. No, um, that's. Hmm. <sighs> <laughs> anyway. They did a, a special and, uh, you know, the, the, the groundhog, you know, was in it. He was kind of like a narrator telling the story of Jack Frost. And um, anyway, that was a very long-winded expose on just one of the ways where, like, I feel like growing up, he was kind of shoved into your face a lot in terms of just, like, the cartoons. Groundhog? Yeah, really? the groundhog. Yeah, yeah. And, but I feel like in the last 10 or 20 years, maybe because, like, you know, these assholes at PETA have kind of, like, 
really push a narrative that it's a yearly animal abuse because we just, you know, this have groundhog to is up. pampered. He has yeah. like a group of people in this town that like take care of him all year for this one day. Yeah. They like gather like thousands of people come to this thing. Yeah. And then Phil comes out and there's like a picture of this guy holding Phil like mm. Simba. Let's yeah. see if I can find it. And apparently too, it was old. Like, look at him. Isn't he cute? Groundhogs are freaking cute. And these guys are wearing top hats. Yeah. It's pretty badass, honestly. Wait, you you, ha- you have access to the internet that entire time that I was like, like cajoling over the actor who was in Groundhog Day. You could just look that up. You just like, let, let why don't you look up the stuff that pertains directly to the show? Well, Google Ground, Groundhog Day movie for me. <laughs> yeah, but, but they, I don't know. I mean, it just seems like one that's like, you know, like society has kind of like started to kind of like, you know, push back on. And so it's been kind of. Bill Murray. Bill Murray. He's Phil the Groundhog? What? Well, he's Phil in Groundhog Day. You know, you I think that we should movie. we should Ishne the Tooth Fairy the Easter Bunny honestly Santa can go too and let's like mm. really celebrate the groundhogs. So celebrate the groundhogs. So like I'm I mean I feel like when I was a kid Groundhog's Day was kind of a big deal like I feel like my parents were like oh tomorrow's Groundhog's Day like let's see if we get more winter and I'd wake up in the morning and be like mom dad did the groundhog see a shadow and they'd be like. No. Well, you well you grew up in you know sort of uh, weather conditions where yeah six more weeks of winter meant like oh you know six more weeks ca- of just can't you know yeah about to say death. The, the crops won't crops won't grow so you know no more food on the table you know so corn won't be knee high by the fourth of July <laughs> the economy's gonna crash <laughs> the goddamn Russians are gonna take yeah. over but like I I, I guess this has all been a very long winded setup for me to say a used to be very popular now it's like a less popular concept but it still happens you know and i'm wondering what sort of butterfly effect sort of occult economics are going on here where they want to kind of put it out there that there could be six more weeks of winter so maybe farmers have to invest in like i don't know a little bit more salt to put on the roads or invest in this that and the other like they are shaping the economy just like Dick Cheney shaped the economy with 9-11. Well, you think this is like a capitalism thing? I think the groundhogs just, and they just know when the winter's going to stop. That groundhog is no smarter than you or I. That groundhog <laughs> is is about as smart as Smokey, meaning it's as smart as a plant. Yeah. You know? They just grab this groundhog. It's just something random. Like that octopus who picks the Super Bowl winners, and everyone's like, oh, you know, the octopus just picked the Chiefs, well, you know? Well, pie are more evolved in the eyeballs than we are. I explained this to you before. You, it is this, you they know They don't what? have a blind spot. You know what? I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna put on this. I hate this narrative of like, oh, dolphins are so smart. They're or, not, they're rapists. They're, they're rapists, <laughs> and you know what? If they were so smart, they would have gotten they, they would have gotten the better of us somehow. they don't have thumbs they don't have thumbs they have not come out of the water to assert well their i mean dominance. if if we dropped you in the middle of a pot of dolphins i don't think you'd make it i think the dolphins would win you know what well like i being the superior yeah no, yeah superior species. superior species. no no i being the superior wouldn't wouldn't hop in the water i would just i don't know like stay on the water throw a stick of dynamite into the into the water like a like a baton rouge fisherman well you that's know? why these people couldn't get off tasmania when they made it a penal colony because the dolphins yeah. were all sexually assaulting them. i don't know i just hate this whole like, thing like oh octopuses are actually like so smart and like uh, oh dolphins are actually like so smart and oh the groundhog is actually so smart okay. no these are all dumb animals well, I'll- they don't we, sit a doct- an octopus down and make it do algebra. Like, we don't need algebra if we didn't have all this shit going on. If we just stopped doing algebra, I think the world would keep spinning and everything would be fine. I don't know. I mean, we made Christmas with the cranks. I think we're doing pretty good. <laughs> I, I think a very unintelligent person could have made Christmas with the cranks. Like you, you haven't, I. you, okay, first of all, you haven't watched it. No, I already know. It. It's called Christmas with the Cranks. You, don't, you, you know nothing of Tim Allen. Keep I going. didn't even finish this tiny little paragraph about Groundhog's Day. So, Phil, or there have been many Phils. We we have more to say on this? Yes. Oh, we'll continue. (laughs) Phil, or there have been many Phils, have been predicting the weather since 1887 and have predicted winter more than 100 times, and apparently 10 years or so were lost to the records. It originates also from a German legend, so it's been going back a long time. And Phil, similar to the last two years, as I said before this year, predicted six more weeks of winter, which is unsurprising because it's been very cold here and everywhere else, I think. So, I mean, like, that's a no-brainer. He should get this one right. According to NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, compared to Phil's 
predictions to historical weather data from the past years and found that Phil was 40% correct. 40%. Yeah, I mean, I, for, yeah, for the listeners' sake, I would like to, you know, acknowledge the fact that uh, she put did the finger air quotes every single time she used the word predict, you know, because <laughs> we're talking about a dumb animal. Okay, I'm sorry. Groundhogs are wild. I, I love animals as much as the next guy, but if we're just talking about intelligence ability to predict, predict the weather, you know. So, the next one bring back Dodo, ambitious plan draws investors. Wait, one second. I'm not quite done with this groundhog oh, thing. Oh my okay? god. Are we're, you, well, we're 13 minutes in. You want to cancel Santa Claus. Day. I want to cancel groundhog. No! Day. The, you know, I mean, Loki, I'm on PETA's side. You know, it's not an intelligent animal. You are harassing on, on a yearly basis. Like, Smokey is only okay with They us. coax him gently out of his stump. They probably, like, dangle peanut butter in front of him. And are like, come here. It's a bunch of old 60-year-old men wearing top hats. You can't tell me this guy beats this groundhog. They they probably didn't want to have sex with this groundhog. Look, I, look I'm just saying Smokey. He's cute. Smokey, our dog, is only okay with the fact that we, like, pick him up and, like, throw him around like a, like, like, like a cute little like a cute little doll every day. Because we do it every day and he understands it's, it's a sign of affection. I mean, they this, probably do this every day. No, they do it once a year. They probably, terrifies they probably nurse Phil from their own teats. Cancel Those ground, 60 year old man's Cancel teats. Groundhog Day. You're abusing a dumb animal, you know? <laughs> Speaking of dumb animal, they want to bring back the dodo bird. Oh. So, Colossal Biosciences announced on Tuesday that it plans to bring back the dodo bird after announcing their plan to bring back the woolly mammoth two years ago. How'd, that, how'd the woolly mammoth thing go? Have you seen a woolly mammoth? No. The last dodo was killed on the island of Maratuis uh-huh. in the Indian Ocean in 1681. And mm. apparently this was, like, one of the more, like, notable cases of, like, human. Like, one of the first animals, like, humans made go extinct. So I'm guessing we were hunting mm. these dodos down. Hmm. But they plan to study DNA differences between the closest really living relative of the dodo, the Nicobar pigeon, and study their DNA differences. And then the team will edit the pigeon cell DNA, whatever, to make them resemble the dodo cells. And then they will put them in developing eggs of other birds. And then they will create naturally dodo eggs. So it's like Jurassic Park, but sillier and it won't work. Well, I think that they tried <laughs> to do it with this mammoth and they were like, damn, this might be pretty hard. Like, right. it's hard to get a hold of elephants, but you know what? They probably got a lot of pigeons. This is ma- this is making me think of the venture capitalist guy from Silicon Valley who was just trying to throw his like gobs of money at just anything, anything, anything that would get his. This name is on the money map. just burning holes in people's pockets. Colossal also announced that they have raised an additional 150 million dollars in funds, bringing their total to 225 million from investors all over the world, including InQtel, which is the CIA's venture capital firm for investing in technologies. This is Pretty why we're losing suspicious. China. We're going to arm those freaking dodo birds. We're, and we're going to send them to North Korea. Yeah, you know what? We're, we're, we're falling behind China because they are developing their economy while we are burning a quarter billion dollars on a failed <laughs> attempt to bring back a dumb version of the turkey. A dumber <laughs> version of the turkey, which I'm sorry. Turkeys I'm, are pretty. No. I'm, I'm, I'm really hating on the They should have been kingdom. the national bird. Turkeys? Yes. Absolutely. It doesn't make them smart, you know? No. I've really been hating on the animal kingdom today. Yeah. Mm. This company brought up the debate among scientists that focusing on bringing back extinct species or de-extinction, creative, takes attention away from conservation efforts to save existing realistic attempts at saving other species. Oh, I mean, huh, interesting. Duke University ecologist Stuart Prim asks, where on earth would you put a woolly mammoth other than a cage? Like, what are we going to do with these, these animals once we bring them back? I don't know. I mean, the I know, mean the, the the giant Tasmanian crayfish can't even stay alive because they put carp in the lake. I don't know. I feel like people. That's a like, big catfish. River know. monsters are still Just on. Just release like twenty of them in like Montana. What's gonna happen? You know? That's true. Yeah. I mean, you'll just see a bunch of like steer out there with huge woolly mammoth tusks sticking out of them. Yeah. It, that like, would be pretty badass. Can you mate? No, you can't. I know this isn't real, but what if you mate, mate like with a with a with a woolly mammoth? You know, not a person, a cow, like with a longhorn. But they're hung like a not like a horse, but they're hung like a mammoth. Yeah, like an elephant. Yeah. Hmm. No, we should put them where the elephants are. Ooh. No, they'd be too hot. Yeah, they be yeah, they're, they're they're too. We fluffy. should put them in Russia. Oh. No, then they'd use them against us. They'd use them against us. They'd strap bazookas to them. 
Which know? would be pretty awesome. And then we're gonna be fall behind the Russians too. Yeah. You know, but like, but, but you know, also in terms of like the whole preservationist uh, theory, like if you actually figure out a way to bring back extinct species, then the like the whole like oh you're just like, you know, like you're not putting the right attention on like uh, keeping. Uh, you know, present like at you know, at risk species. Well, if you can bring back from the from from, from extinction, then <laughs> well, I think they talked about that, and part of it is like they're not ever going to be like a hundred percent dodo. Like they're not the the like species of bird dodos that were here in whatever sixteen eighty one have yeah. been evolving and changing for like generations. Whereas like this, if we just let animals go extinct just to revive them, they lose like all those like years of like evolution, I guess, and you lose all the li- different like lineages. Well, I mean, like because then the... you you bring back one, and then I don't know. This is me like theorizing. I don't know anything about oh, this, sure. but like if you just bring back, so you have like a tree of all these different dodos, right. but you kill them all off, and then you start from one that you put in this Nico Bar pigeon, then you mm-hmm. only have one little branch now. Yeah, and you, I mean, unless you're doing this at like a mass quantity where you're just making a ton of dodo lineages, mm-hmm. I don't know. It just seems impractical. It's easier to just like not kill all the animals. I mean, that's a. But that's been pretty hard. That's for a. Us. Di- I'm about to say that. That, that. that sounds like that's like a little more difficult than just you know spending much money and bringing back dodo. True. And and notably, you know, in Jurassic Park, you know, they were all just created from asexually reproducing frogs, basically. You know, and I don't know. They 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 still fit the bill. They still roared. They, they still. Did. They, still they ran chased, around. They still chased Jeff Goldblum around. You know, with his. They sexy, cool sexy noise. tan pecs running all over the screen, you know? So, I mean. Those movies, I feel like, really made a push to make, like, smart people sexy. I mean, Jeff Goldblum, you know, I mean, I feel like we've made sexy Jeff Goldblum smart. Like, I don't actually think Jeff Goldblum oh, is no. smart. Oh, no. But I think that was their attempt at being like, hey, look, smart. No, who is the other guy? Jeff Goldblum isn't the sexy guy. Oh, you're thinking of Sam Neill is the actor who is the paleontologist guy. Yeah. Well, I was really into and Laura Dunn, Dern, Laura Dern. Laura sorry. Dern, yeah, 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 you're right, Sam Neill. He yeah, was yeah. well. I guess he was fine. Yeah. Richard Attenborough. That was where yeah, the Richard, sex appeal was. John at. Hammond was the. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm reading. Well, no, no, <laughs> Richard, Richard Attenborough names. was the actor name. Yeah, John Hammond. Yeah, yeah. Was yeah. the whatever. Yeah, yeah. What is this? What is this attempt to like to like push this narrative that like smart people are sexy? You know. I mean, it's sexy until you start talking about like Dungeons and Dragons. Too much. Keep that. that to yourself. No. Just kidding. No. I kind of like it. Hey, better say, better say, you know. Yeah. There was a, a group. Remember Dell's? That bar I went to in Lacrosse. Mm-hmm. If you're ever in Lacrosse, Wisconsin, Dell's Bar, best Bloody Marys ever. But they, there was like on like Tuesday nights, this like two dudes would come in and play Dungeons and Dragons for like five hours, and they'd like set up their whole board on the bar. They like had little seats closed off for them. Mm-hmm. Just two bros playing D and D. Man, but those dudes pulled, you know, pretty good. I mean, I think they pulled by just, like, leering at, like, college girls across the bar. Nothing like a good leer, you know. Nothing like a good <laughs> Nothing leer. Like a leer. The Dungeons and Dragons, is, it's interesting because one of my, me and my roommate was playing uh, it a lot in law school. How's it going, Steve? Um, <laughs> and um, and uh, they, they would do these campaigns, right? And these campaigns would, they, they mean, they, they would last. there was only campaigns in, like, Call of Duty. That's quite wrong. Okay. Uh, <laughs> It's quite wrong. Um, I'm incorrect. Stand correct. They would do these campaigns, you know, and they would last for weeks, you know. I mean, unless you're willing to play for like 48 hours straight, which no one would, no one would do. I think if you're, I think if you're really just playing for like an evening at a time, these things would take a long time. Do you have to leave the board set up, or do you like take a picture of the board, take it down, everyone goes home, yeah. and like yeah, you gotta take a picture of the board or leave it at someone's house. I mean, these little and cho- just hope that like. Their little dickhead cat doesn't come around to just swap pieces yeah, around. I mean, these little chodes on Stranger Things made it seem like it was like they were playing Parcheesi or Monopoly over there. These were serious matters that took a long course of time, you know? I have really respect for any games that take, like, significant, like, setup. Like, what's the game from Parks and Rec? <laughs> oh, the, the, the cones The cones of, cones of Dunshire or Dun... Yeah. Cones of... Cones of or this cones last of podcast something. on the left game takes, yeah, takes a lot I mean, of... Risk takes about six hours and usually costs a friendship or two. Yeah. Whoa. You ever played Risk for? No. Oh, it takes a long time. Cones of Dunshire, you were right. Cones of Dunshire. Um, well, Dan tried to get me to play Catan and I just was... Could not bear sitting there to play it. You know, you know that's you know. I'm. I mean, I've just been so aggressive these past two episodes. I'm gonna keep going. Fuck settlers of Catan. 
Okay. Catan. So <laughs> fuck that game. It is literally, you know, that, and if, Dan, and if fuck you're that game. if you're a player of this game, I'm talking directly to you. Oh, listen it up, is, Dan. It is risk for people with terribly short attention spans. Oh no. <laughs> it is literally if you actually break down the you're game. You're so pretentious. Right allocation now. <laughs> of, of of resources. It is literally risk but they figured out a way for it to not have to take a few hours because you couldn't focus i mean i feel like when we played Catan, it took forever i mean most times i believe Catan takes about 45 minutes for like a game maybe only 30 honestly maybe it took me longer because i just kept drinking to make the pain go away while i was playing this game oh i mean it's awful you know risk it you know if you're playing with like a full stack of like four or five you know hateful 15 year olds which is like usually what i played at i mean we are clipping and it's like you it's it's easily four by six hours for a game you know and like and like the only way to win at risk that sounds like you have to like fake like food poisoning and and then actually have to get food poisoning so I could leave yeah, the and, party. And unless you're like some sort of like grand chess master, like, you know, at it, like with strategy, it almost always takes like literal political subterfuge. Like when someone will go to the bathroom and I'll just be like, you know, Gabe, I will pay you twenty dollars to like <laughs> to like you know to like fuck with you know you know Miguel at your own expense. This has happened, you know. I mean, I've I've, I've slept yeah, say, these are specific names of people I've heard you mention before. Yeah, yeah, like, like you cannot win <laughs> at this game. Friends. You cannot win at this game unless someone unnecessarily betrays someone for you at their own expense. It's honestly there's like, real money involved. Yeah, real risk. I mean, exactly. Okay. Well, All right. Thank you for that. <laughs> that, 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 that. That's my cue to stop talking. All right, about I can bring that back. That bring it all back yeah, that whole this article was actually really interesting about the dodo bird nose written by christine larson from ap news the other one was from ap news too but i couldn't find the, the dodo bird so we're just giving some cred so earlier this week we took a venture down on a rainy tuesday night to skull's rainbow room which is you know a restaurant here in nashville tennessee it's a restaurant yeah. it was really good it, it, it was really good. I had a really nice uh, steak. There was, the lobster bisque was The lobster bisque was, you know. It was spectacular. It drew us away from our Progresso clam chowder for one evening. Yeah, it was really nice. Yeah, I like that place a lot. I kind of had a nice, like, I mean, it wasn't a speakeasy, but, like, it kind of had that sort of, like, yeah, underground, old. Well, sort of old, sort of, like, old, sort of, like, dark you know, kind of velvet oaken room sort of appeal yeah. to it. Um, it, w- it was really nice. I liked it Yes. A lot. Well, I dragged you there because I'm going to talk about Skull's Rainbow Room, David Skull Skullman, and Printer's Alley. So we're done with the news. Yes, we're done with the news. No more, nothing else happened. <laughs> nope. I'm not going to play the stupid news jingle now. I, I like the stupid news jingle. Oh, I'm going to keep playing it. Oh, okay, great. Well, Thank I mean, you. there's no more. For the there's rest no, of the there's no, oh, there's no more news. Okay, well. I'm sorry. Yeah, so recap, Groundhog Day happened and another failed attempt at bringing back an unnecessary relic of the past. Yes. Just like every single time we try to, like, I don't know, retread a Steven Seagal movie. Low you know? rise genius. Perfect. <laughs> All right, so hit me with Skull's right. Rainbow Room. I'm ready. So... Printer's Alley is a two-block stretch from Union to Church Street or Commerce Street. Technically, I think it goes down to Commerce, but, like, most of the business is between Union and Church Street. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. But Alley Taps is further towards Commerce. So, okay. conflicting. Mm-hmm. Conflicting things. So, it originally had two large newspapers, 10 print shops, and 13 publishers, but at one point during the late 1800s, it was home to more than 36 publishers, including the Tennessean. Hmm. Um, the Ambrose Printing Company was the last to leave the alley in 1977. Ooh, you need, you need to like play like a little like you know like kind of like, little, like, like old timey music. Well, kind of like 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 I just That's pictured a newspaper boy getting hit by a car. That'll happen. Okay. That'll happen. So, President Andrew Jackson's law office was once on Union Street, and him and other prominent people would board their horses in the alley while visiting the courthouse, mm. which is over there. I don't know why I'm pointing this out. I'm pointing it out to you. No one else can see what I'm pointing But So, out. that's why I was called Printer's Alley. Yes, because, because there's there a lot of like, print shops in it. I'll bet it smelled... I've heard like paper production smells like poop, you know? It smells like money. <laughs> 
described it was described as a seedy area after sundown, even though it was so nice and kind of businessy during the day, because it was peppered with music bars, burlesque venues, and even a brothel called the Climax Saloon. And no which, less, that sign is still there for like the Climax Saloon, so it probably was in that spot with oh, that. Oh, the Climax that, Saloon. Isn't that fun? I, I never got the pun until now. Oh, <laughs> it also had an early nickname of the Men's District due to the businesses and catering to the local elite which just sounds gross it's most sweaty the the, the 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 local elite of men's the, district the political people really frequented the area because oh, it's like really okay. close to the courthouse yep, yep and no proper ladies were seen there after dark no proper and ladies no proper so it's ladies. just like Lindsay lohan hanging out apparently she's light. known for like not tipping whatsoever like walking Whoa. out on like thousand dollar tabs like on restaurants we're walking out on tabs yeah or like, being, like, like or like them? Both. Whoa. Dang. Like, she's I feel like a lot of celebrities actually, or I, I've heard of a number of cases where celebrities like aren't like good tippers, you know? Well, I just think like it's crazy to me that like you can be a celebrity and think that's not going to get out. Like yeah. every server is in the kitchen with their phone and be like, hey, yeah. I just met John Travolta. John Travolta just killed somebody. Did something really like disgusting or didn't tip me? People are gonna hear about it right away. Um, name one disgusting thing that know. John Traw has ever done. Murdered someone. No, no, that was um. <laughs> Killed that... someone. He didn't murder them. No, um, that was um a Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. <laughs> Alec Baldwin. You just tried to besmirch John Traw. <laughs> they look the same. They look nothing alike. You know, honestly, Alec Baldwin looks. Kind of like a cat man at this point, you know, with all that plastic surgery. John Tra looks like a... Is John Tra alive? Yeah, of course he's alive. He's alive and kicking. He's a Scientologist. He's never going to die. You're you know? right. Him and Tom Cruise. John, John, Tra, John Tra honestly looks like a coal miner who at the age of 30 was brought out by an old spinster with a lot of money. You kind of pampered him up. It's kind of like a reverse pretty woman sort of thing, but for John Tra, you know? That's what he looks like, you know? It's not Hilaria. That's Alex. Hilaria. Hilaria. Anyway. Things that were illegal in the city were often ignored in the alley due to the, all the political figures being mm. in the area. Like John Traw. Yes, like John Traw. And especially during Prohibition, the sale of alcohol kind of continued in the alley. Ooh. Prostitution was legal in Nashville from 1854 to 1917, which I put question marks by because I needed to fact check it, but I never did because I only ordered <laughs> on one place. Let me just look it up quick because, you know, we'll just cut this out. So in 1863, sex workers were required to get a license with a health check to work. And if they didn't, they could face up to 60 days in jail and hundreds of women registered to get these licenses. Mm. That's rather progressive. Exactly. Yeah. It's like Amsterdam. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Sex work's real work, you know? Yeah, it's, re it's real work. Yeah. A re reporter asked Hillary Housey, Na House Housey, Nashville's mayor elected in 1909, which was the year Prohibition began, if he was... Um, protecting the bars in Printer's Alley, and he responded with, protect them. I do better than that. I patronize them. He also, um, at the time, says, I'm not a drinking man, but as long as I stay in a free country, I will eat and drink as I please. So let's just, things got down in Printer's Alley that, like, okay. are fine. Right. But the same guy also, he said he ran with the wets, which I think is a fun word for people who like to drink. The oh, wets. the wets. Okay. And on the promise that he wouldn't enforce the laws closing the saloon, and it obviously works because he won. Yeah. And he gave gained favor with the poor families in the area by giving them coal and groceries. He also paid their toll taxes for poor white and black voters who had voting laws not in their favor and even offered them a drink on election day. Huh. You know, we need to bring back the term wet in terms of being, like, uh, like drunk, you know? I'm so wet. Well, I mean, I just, like, that wasn't <laughs> such like, a... hammered! That was, like an old, that was, like, an old term, you know, like, ah, I'm real wet right now, you know, like... I uh, mean, I feel like people still be like, I had 12 glasses of wine, I'm soaking wet. Nobody knows how dry I am. You know, it's an old song. Yeah, look no. it up. Okay. But, so during Prohibition, under the protection of political fisher, officials, as I said, the okay. speakeasies in Princer's Alley thrived. Actual speakeasies. Mm -hmm. The area lies at the bottom of a hill and holds bootlegging tunnels and catacombs that lead to the nearby Cumberland River. Hmm. And it is rumored that there are parts of the Underground Railroad running through that, the, like, tunnel system. Still today? 
they're probably clogged up. Who knows? Mm. But I couldn't find anything else about the tunnels. Mm. Mm. But, well, in lacrosse, there, I actually believe this because in lacrosse, like downtown, you saw lacrosse, no. just a big bar street. Yeah. There were all tunnels under the bars in lacrosse just because like at one point there was like a whole like heating system through like the streets and like mm. bar owners would like just keep all their beer down there and they could yeah. like run in between bars. Oh, but like they kind of got all clogged up over the years. But mm. the speakeasy sort of bars were popular in the area since it was illegal to sell liquor by the drink in Nashville and cocktails. And it was not legal apparently until 1967. Huh. Seems really it was late. not, it, it was illegal. To like sell like cocktails. Oh, until 1967? Yes. Interesting. Kind of a whole Seems really late. Era. Yeah. yeah. One of the very famous bars in Printer's Alley was Skull's Rainbow Room, and it was founded in 18, 1948 by David Skull Skullman at 222 Printer's Alley in the basement of the Southern Turf Building. And this building was constructed in 1895 and housed a very elegant saloon, which kind of sounds like an oxymoron. You feel like saloons have to be dusty. Right. You're thinking the bottles of, have to like... You're kind of thinking of like the swinging door. Like, do you have oh, a yeah. kick open? Somebody's like playing a piano. Some dude's smoking a cigar and kind of like, you know, losing that uh, poker and then it kind of gets thrown yes. out, you know? Well, right now you're thinking of like El Paso, Texas. I'm thinking of Tombstone and I want to watch a Western yeah, movie. I, God, Val Kilmer's the best actor who ever lived, you know? Fuck, <laughs> <laughs> boy, not, you know, notch that one, you know? You do love Val Kilmer. Yeah, I do love Val Kilmer. So the Southern Turf Building housed a hotel, a saloon, a gambling hall, and it was described as very upscale compared to the rest of the alley. Picture lots of marble and mahogany. Oh. So it's a very fancy place. Oh. The glamour of the alley began to fade as businesses slowed during the Prohibition. And the owner, Ice or Ike, which I think his brand name was probably Ike and people called him Ice, uh-huh. Johnson, yep. Mr. Johnson, managed the Southern Turf Building and lived in an apartment on one of the upper floors. And when the saloon kind of closed down in 1916, Johnson shot himself with a pistol and left a note that he would rather die than move from the building and his job. The like builder or like owner of the building, his last name was Cartwright, mm-hmm. he, Johnson promised Cartwright to take care of the building until the day he died. Oh. And apparently he might have taken care of it after he died too. Interesting. Because residents began to report seeing a man standing in the window on the third floor. Reports continued for decades, beginning quickly after his death. Employees throughout the building report hearing things being moved around or disappearing from their desk, and some even saw Johnson and quit their jobs. Kind of sounds like Butler just kind of kept on living there after he died. Sounds like their manager was mean to them and just being like, well, I know I can get a pretty good excuse to quit my job. Yeah. Ghost. Skull, the owner of Skull's Rainbow Room, reported Mm -hmm. hearing Johnson moving around his club during closing time, and the ghosts like to move items in a storeroom as well as bar stools and tables. Oh. 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 Okay. Right. The bar know. I worked at in lacrosse had a ghost. Really? Same as Patricia. Oh, Patricia? And it Her just, name. And it just wasn't just like a angry former coworker. No. No? Okay. Well, well I never saw it, but like people actually told really scary stories about it. Really? Yeah. Patricia, like, okay. They would, the way the light switches were in the basement, which I think was half the problem, mm-hmm. was that it was one of those things where the light switch wasn't close to where you wanted to leave. Right. So you had to like shut it off and then run like yeah. to like the light at the door, which mm-hmm. was like kind of like a few yards away. Yeah. Oh, okay. But people were spooked. <laughs> I always made people come down with me when I was changing kicks because oh. I was scared. <laughs> so Skull's Rainbow Room, as we saw, was in like the basement of the building. Okay. So there was a, a lot of noise coming up. Hmm. And I guess like Skull, he was never bothered by Johnson's ghost. He was always like, oh, kind of liked him being there. Yeah, yeah. He thought he was alone. It was either Skull or it was just like, I don't know, like a couple of raccoons standing on each other's shoulders in a in trench coat moving around. You right, know? Yeah. right. Well, so why was it called the Rainbow Room? Oh. Okay. <laughs> that, just, just keep on going. I actually then. don't know. Okay. It never came up in all the stuff I read. Huh. Should ask somebody at the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> but so Skull's Rainbow Room was very like famous and it um it still keeps its checkerboard stage today, but that was like an original thing. Mm-hmm. And it had hosted Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash, Paul McCartney, Jimi Hendrix, Etta James, and many more. Wow. Tim McGraw was discovered in the Rainbow Room. He was wow. apparently like about to quit trying to like become famous. And David Skull Skullman was like, hey, give her a shot. And Tim McGraw did, and then he got famous. Okay, so he was discovered for being, like, talented. He wasn't just, like, discovered in there and be like, hey, Tim McGraw, you know? No, yes, no. He, like, yes, he got his career. Hey, he's there. <laughs> Spotted. I see Tim McGraw. All right, okay. Where's Dirk's Bentley? All right. 
Um, and then Andy Griffith also was the house comedian at one point in time. Famous burlesque shows were very popular in Skull's Rainbow Room, and they still continue to be to this day. Hmm. So we should go sometime because they actually look really cool. Yeah, I love they do that. them like Thursday through Saturday. Very still. cool. You know, I, I thought I was gonna give you a quick gotcha moment by like doing a little Google on why it's called the Rainbow Room. I'm actually not really seeing. See, it I literally didn't find it anywhere. Maybe someone just maybe. He, well, the I think Room. maybe it's because I'm as I'm about to tell you, mm -hmm. David Skullman, Skull. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna refer to him as Skull now. Was a very colorful guy. Everyone loved him, and he was kind of like known as like the mayor of Printer's Alley. Yep. And Skull was loved by everyone, but he loved his poodles. I loved his poodles. He loved poodles. Okay. He would dye them red and green around Christmas, and they would usually have names like Sweetie or Sugar, and were walked on rhinestone leashes. Here's a picture of him and his poodles. They're like the oh, little wow. toy poodles. Oh. Okay. He was even said that Elvis may have given him a poodle at one point. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. And Skull was always known to wear flashy suits and had a signature Skull belt buckle. And you can see this in the Rainbow Room now. I pointed those out to you. Mm -hmm. There's like those, yeah. they're like embroidered like rhinestone jean jackets. He was a real rhinestone cowboy. He was a rhinestone boy. Like Glenn Campbell song. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. People would see him walking up and down the alley constantly. He kind of became like a character of the area. And he was also known to be very kind and cared for the homeless, off, often offering them odd jobs. Oh. Um, Willie Nelson says that Skull was a friend of his since 1961 when he first came to Nashville. Wow. So okay. he had a he had a pretty high up list of friends. Yeah. In his early life, Skullman was born in North Nashville, August 1st of 1917, just a few blocks from the old Sulphur Bell, old Sulphur <laughs> Bell. Well. Old Sulphur Dell Ballpark, there we go, which is now the Sound's first Tennessee Park or the first Horizon Park, which is over in Germantown, the one I keep telling you uh -huh, about. Uh -huh. The Nashville Sounds play there. Oh, cool. Apparently they're bad, but it's a fun time. Huh. So yeah, they're no jumbo shrimp, you know? They, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or uh, Sky Carp. The Beloit Sky Carp. They're the Beloit Sky Carp, you know. Is that what you were trying? Who are the jumbo shrimp? No, the, the, what? The Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. I don't know who that is. We are the Jumbo Shrimp, <laughs> here to play a game. Oh! oh! <laughs> That's the song, you know. It's okay. Roundtable Gentlemen, you know. Just check it out uh, sometime, you know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God that's still on Spotify. Yeah, I know. I need to finish all the episodes before, like, maybe it's taken down someday. I mean, it's destined to be taken down, you know. It's just a, a catastrophe waiting to happen. There's some fantastic stuff on there, and there's some fantastically hateful stuff yeah. on there. It's, <laughs> a, it's really just a gold mine, you know. So, he was a bat boy for the Nashville Vols, which were the team at the time. Yeah. Uh, a minor league team up until the early 1960s. He got the nickname Skull after he fractured his skull in a car accident, which is not from his last name, which is very strange. Really, which I think weird. had to have some cor yeah. correspondence. He was known to freeze baseball to deaden the rubber in a meat freezer at the Swifting Company, which this led me down a huge hole. Okay. It's like, why would you freeze a baseball yeah. to deaden it? Which I was like, does that make it go farther or not go as far? So. I Well, I'm a, I gave you, you asked about I gave you the, my thought was it makes the ball go further because it deflects less on contact. Was that right? Well, I don't think they bring them out cold. Like, oh. I think the freezing, yeah. like, messes up. Because you know how, at least when when I worked at Versity, we, if, like, you freeze a rubber band, it loses elas the elastic elasticity. Right. Which is bad. Right. Because, because, yeah. So it makes them not go as far. It doesn't get firm. It gets kind of, like, it gets dead. Anyway. Hmm. So this really down this hole. Okay, sure. So Rob Neer on ESPN.com explained how the Pirates and Phillies froze balls in the 20s and compared it to when the White Sox were keeping ball in a high humidity room, which made them heavier and less bouncy. Hmm. Emma Bassillary outlined an article how in 1938 the MLB put together four baseball heavy hitters, including Jimmy Fox, Chuck Klein, Bill Kissel, and Charlie Keller. Don't know any of those people. Okay. To test out a new ball after the dead ball era from 1900 to 1920 where balls were kept in the game for an expensive period of time after damage or like just using them forever. And the amount of home runs in the game decreased. Like in the game, like it was a short ball game. Because mm. the, the balls were just like so beat up that they wouldn't go very far. Oh, interesting. Okay. Huh. So after game balls became more regulated, the offense spiked and people were concerned that there were too many home runs in the game. And they were missing the old, like, small ball they had during, like, this dead ball era. Right. So these deadened balls had raised, seamed, and loose twine and were dubbed, like, woozy, whooshy balls. Mm -hmm. So they were less, like, ding, like, pew. 
But the MLB implemented these new balls without much hubbub, and the question of deadening baseballs came up again apparently in 2021 due to the offense of the MLB being overwhelmed by home runs. Really? So I guess this is like an over, like, a fluctuating issue yeah. with the MLB that, like... It really just seems to kind of come come back to none other than Tom Brady and Deflategate. You're right. You exactly. Know? He's the only one who's getting away with it, you know? But so long story short, I think that they were freezing baseballs to make them lose their elasticity so they wouldn't go as far. Hmm. Interesting. They made them mushy balls. Interesting. Huh. Because they wouldn't just like bring out like a frozen ball. It was just like right, they'd yeah. freeze it. It would oh, get weird. Okay, okay. And then they'd bring it out and it'd look normal, but it wouldn't go very far. Oh, okay. Because okay. I guess like these hitters can like tell when they hit a ball if it's like dead or not. Oh, yeah. Like it has sure. less of like a ting. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even think about baseball. I'm sorry. Anyway, Skull never had a family and he never married. But he opened the Rainbow Room, and that was kind of his life. He also was a member on the Hee Haw Show, which I've never heard of. Have you heard Hee Haw Show? Hee Haw Show. I guess it was a show consisting of music and comedy with performances from country musicians. Oh yeah. And there's a lot of like corny like skits and jokes. Yeah, it's like the it's like the Conway Twitty Show, you know. And I guess they wore like overalls yeah. and stuff. And after Skull like was on the show a few times, he would constantly be wearing his like Hee Haw overalls yeah. all the time. Well, I mean, that was a kind of a common thing back back in the day was these sort of like variety shows. Yeah. Where it was kind of a combination of like a talk show, but like, yeah, like, you know, someone would play some songs like and then do skits. Yeah, yeah, like SNL, but good, right, yeah. I like SNL. Aww. Sometimes. I used to. It was, oh, it was better a long time ago. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> so, Skull had a reputation of waiting for the Rainbow Room to open at like his last little seat on the bar, okay. which I'm, I tried to look it up because we sat at like the last seats pretty much closest to the door. Right. And yes. I, I think that's kind of the area where he always sat. Okay. Or I don't think it was the area towards the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Either way. Okay. So he'd always sit in the same spot every day, read his newspaper, while wait for the bar to open up. Uh-huh. So one day he was sitting in his normal spot at the very end of the bar. This is when Joe Reno came in who worked at the bar next door and he stopped by to see Skull around like 5 p.m. And then around 6 p.m. William Jones, who is a salesperson who was making a routine stop at the Rainbow Room, walked in and was surprised to not see Skull in his usual spot because he was always in the same spot. And he walked around the bar to find Skull on the floor, hands at his throat, blood everywhere. Whoa. Al Gray, a National Metro Department police officer, says that the police arrived around 6.20 p.m. after Skull was found assaulted by a knife wound. Dr. John Gerbert, a medical assistant medical examiner, says that Skull was cut three times across his neck, fell and hit his head on a bar stool or by a bottle of liquor. And he says that the knife wounds are not suspi- sufficient to kill Skull or impact his vocal cords, so he could have like been crying for help. But he suffered a subglial hemorrhage from a blunt object, possibly the bar stool or the bottle on his head. Hmm. So they're like, we got to find this bar stool. <laughs> bring, bring it to justice. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Or this bottle of Jack Daniels. We got yeah. to find this dirty liquor. Okay. So they went into the bathroom and they found into the ladies' restroom, which I used. Okay. And said that there was like a bloody washcloth. So the assailant washed up and ran out the back where he was seen by witnesses. And they found and collected blood samples from the towel in the bathroom. And people saw a young white male, pretty tall. He thinks there was like a botched robbery Uh and he was cut with a dull knife. So this was the first murder in Printer's Alley. Really? And they said it was a very safe area due to it being a lot of professional people and businesses, which I find very hard to which, believe. Which, yeah, really really strikes in contrast to the uh, all the sea stuff going on It there. seems like one of those things where, like, somebody's bleeding out and they just, like, drag him out onto, like, Union Street. Like, he didn't die in the alley. Like, just like Disney World. Exactly. No one dies in Disney World. That's a thing. Look at that. I know. It's yeah, kind of yeah. crazy. So when paramedics took Skull to the hospital, he was still alive. And Raina Tucker went to the hospital with him and sang a song right before he died. I didn't know who Raina Tucker was. Raina Tucker? He's, she's like a famous musician. I, I if I was dying of a knife wound, the last thing I would want would be to have like, I don't know, like, you know, Sam Smith just screaming Serenade. in my ear. <laughs> well, like, this, she I, was a good I, friend to him. Like she like wrote it like with him to the hospital. And I think he died from the head wound, not the knife wounds. Okay. So it's a very like lame slow throat flashing attempt uh yeah but either way skull was an 80 years old when he died so these people attacked an old man which is always kind of sad the community of parents alleys was devastated 
And friend Michael McCall said that at his funeral, everyone came, celebrities, politicians, drinkers, bartenders, and servers. And it was the last time the rich and the famous stood together with the broke and the forgotten. Well, this, wow, that's, you know, that sounds really, uh, you know. That, I was going to say That's a lovely story. There know? was there was more to it, okay. but I just summarized <laughs> part of it. <laughs> he had a very long saying about it, which is very touching. He seemed yeah. like a very nice guy. Investigation ensued. Okay. Drifters James Cavalier. I believe you're trying to say Kristen Cavallari. That's not it. Okay. Not even close. <laughs> you're right. Exactly right. So James and Jason Pence. So okay. we're going to go James and Jason. All right. So keep those straight. Okay. Were charged with robbery and murder of um, Skull in 2000. Pence was a carnival worker at the Tennessee State Fair and had once been hired by Skull as part-time help. And he told police that Skull... Um, like, used to carry wads of money in his overall bibs mm-hmm. from the Hee Haw show, and he knew this mm-hmm. because he'd worked with him. And the two men had planned to rob him because they were sick of being homeless. And they planned to beat him up, and if he did not relinquish the money, and Jason Pence did plan to stand in the doorway because Skull may recognize him because he worked for him before. Mm-hmm. So he left his post once they got in there because he wanted to see what James was going to do to Skull. And then Pence says that... Jason asked Skull for the money and he refused. So he hit him multiple times, knocking him from his bar stool. And like Skull tried to get up, he like slit his throat or slit his throat. He didn't actually cut it. And Skull made a noise um, when the man was cleaning up in the bathroom. And then he struck him with the liquor bottle. But Moral these two kind of like turned against each other when they were getting in. So they don't really know exactly what happened. But moral of the story: never trust a carny. That is true. That's a great moral. Yeah. So the men only got $45 and Jason only got $5 because James (laughs) said that he was a bad lookout and so he had to kill Skull. The next morning, the men went to Union Mission for breakfast, wearing the same clothes as the night previously, and then washed up in Legend's Corner. Hide in plain sight. Which, I mean, I feel like they'd have blood all over them. You know... (laughs) Whatever. <laughs> they attended the vigil for Skull two days later in Pritchard's Alley, which is so rude. It sounds like a They bad had like a nice vigil for him and these two pieces of garbage came. It sounds like a bad episode of NCI Miami. Exactly. Um, so Cavalle received a life sentence for first degree felony murder and especially aggravated robbery. Especially aggravated. Especially and aggravated Pence robbery. And Pence pleaded guilty to facilitating a murder, which gave him a sentence of like 15 to 25 years. Huh. And from what I was like reading, I think he might be like on his way to getting out. Because there okay. was like pleas or whatever going on. Well, so. that's going to be a real walking piece of history when he gets out, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... The Rainbow Room closed quickly after Skull was murdered. Um, Skull's sister auctioned off a lot of the memorabilia, which was brought bought back by the eventual owners. Spoiler alert, it's open again because we just went on Tuesday. The entire building hosting the Rainbow Room, the Southern Turf Building, was bought in January 2015 for $2.25 million by the Nash, by a national businessman who also owns Bourbon Street Blues and Boogie Bar. Oh, okay. Which was that that one we went in that one yep, night? Yep, okay, that, that, that one's cool too. too. Yeah, good bar too. Yep. It was used for storage for a few years, and then a man from Sheffield, England, was hired to assist with, like, the renovations and, like, the hospitality aspects, mm-hmm. um, and it was damaged by the floods in 2010, which I didn't know that Nashville had such bad floods in 2010. Well, I mean, when the when the good old Cumberland, you know, gets a little too swollen from the from the rainy season, you know, then it... Uh... I didn't like to use the word swollen. Swollen? Never swollen? I don't like that. You ever heard that before? No. So for 16 years, the club sat empty (laughs) and there were floods and fires. So the renovation was apparently like a huge feat. And the bar um, now keeps like the speakeasy jazz burlesque kind of vibe. And it wanted to do something different than lower Broadway and like the honky tonks. Mm -hmm. So they kind of keep like the inside, like the kind of jazz and whatever, which is cool. And it still has the original checkered stage and original feel and like, we saw the stage. We saw they have Skull's jackets hanging up, which is cool. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of other, like, little things that I remember reading about that they kept. It does still have the burlesque shows, which I do want to go to. I'm going to go check that out. They're going to for, for brunch, right? The piano guy is great. No, they do them, I think, at, like, 11. Oh, okay. So cool. they're going to call it great thing. But, yeah. And while the space was being used for storage, some of the employees reported seeing an eerie shape from resembling Skull. The English guy um, said that even on the hottest nights when temperatures reached 80 to 90 degrees, it would be nice and cool in the club, even though the walls were like two feet thick stone and they didn't have any air conditioning. So some say that Skull kept the bar nice and cool for like the workers during renovations and like during storage. 
and people would feel a warm draft and a comforting feel when inside the rainbow room, which okay. could be just, you know, their kind of junk. Could just be their kind of junk. And like which, the, like, the cocktails the we had there were like a, pretty like stiff. walking by. Yeah. yeah. Oh, something smells like bisque. Yeah. <laughs> and people witness a man being pulled by a small white dog in the alley, often seen, like, walking away from them. And people don't, like, report it as unusual until the man just, like, suddenly disappears. Ooh. And some patrons swear off booze after they are spooked by an apparition. A tour group even saw a man and a dog pass through the front door of the rainbow room while it was still closed. They reported a sighting to a nearby doorman at, like, a different bar. And he said that many people report seeing this, including himself. Wow, okay. So, I mean, I guess if we're ever bored, we'll have to just post up in Printer's Alley and, and get see if and we... Get- Pissed drunk. And see if we start seeing some ghosts. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. interesting That's a a cool part of Nashville history. You know, I like I I I enjoyed that very much. I'm very tired, so I don't think I really did that that well. But I you know, I I retained every bit of it. Since we almost got lost in the woods today. Ah, you know. Oh no. Skulls was cool. I definitely want to go there again. I think we go over last show. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Or brunch. Yes. Apparently know. their bloodies kind of good. I'll bet, I'll, I'll bet after two bloodies and eight mimosas, you know. You, you yeah, start you'll, seeing some ghosts. You'll see some ghosts. So I guess references for you is this. I read a National Scene article by Dave Hoekstra, a Sea Ghosts article by Virginia Lampkin, a Tennessee Encyclopedia article, which is about that Hillary Housie guy. Interesting dude. Mm-hmm. The Wets. Uh, direct appeal from the criminal court for Davidson County for the state of Tennessee versus James Starled Cavalier. And a Bones and Brunch Printer's Alley podcast, huh. which was by these two, like, obviously very Southern ladies that lived in Nashville. And they only did, like, eight episodes, and all of them were kind of interesting. And then they just stopped doing it. Huh. Sad. Yeah. But, well, you know, they, one of them probably finalized her divorce proceedings, you know, and then moved on. They did, like, their thing was they'd meet up and, like, have, like, mimosas or bloodies and, like, do a podcast. No, oh, yeah. Kind of a cool fun. Yeah, cool fun idea. I like it. I like it. But I mean, Stella's yeah. got a groove back sort of thing, you know? Another good movie. That's good time. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I think we need to start just like t- listening through these and tallying up everything that Chris was. Chris is with the movie one. list. For, Chris is with the cranks is number one. Which is pretty much just top ten movies not to watch. Jeez. <sighs> okay. Well. Well. Yeah. On that note. Yeah. I think we're done here. <laughs> good night, folks. Yeah, that's good. Bye bye.